Welcome to the Gnostic Insights Podcast. My name is Dr. Sid Rob, and I'm your host. Today we're going to look at the nature of the Christ, the who, what, why of Christ. Most people are familiar with seeing the baby Jesus in the manger, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time, the birth of the Christ on earth in the form of a human. But the Christ is an ethereal creature that predates the birth of Jesus. Jesus and the Christ aren't exactly the same, although Jesus was fully Christ that the Christ predates the birth of the human known as Jesus. So let's learn more about the Christ and why the Christ figure is so essential to us second-order powers. Gnosticism is the forerunner of the modern Christian faith. As such, a better understanding of the figure of the Christ is essential to understanding both Gnosticism and Christianity. The cosmology that I talk about here on the podcast was well known to Jesus and his original followers, but it was cut out of Christianity about 1,700 years ago by the Nicene Council at the urging of the Pope and the Roman Emperor. Because this theology was subtracted from Orthodox Christianity, many of the ideas of Gnostic cosmology sound odd and unfamiliar to modern churchgoers. Some of the ideas may even sound heretical at first glance due to their unfamiliarity. Yet the theology contained in these early scriptures makes sense of so many puzzling aspects of Christian faith that they must be re-examined. I'm confident that once you understand Gnostic Christianity, you will better understand your relationship with God. According to Gnostic cosmology as laid out in the Nag Hammadi, we humans and all other forms of life on earth from bacteria and eukaryotes on up, are the fruit of the pleroma and logos. We second-order powers find ourselves locked in a never-ending battle for dominion over the earth with forces that were generated as a result of the fall. Due to the law of mutual combat, we have forgotten our origin in the fullness and our mission to bring love and harmony to creation, and have instead taken on many of the characteristics of the shadows of the deficiency. The second-order powers are locked in a never-ending war with the deficiency. Here below, we constantly battle the physical forces of death and entropy, as well as the spiritual forces of vice, sin, delusion, and despair. In order to restore memory and reason to the second-order powers, the eons of the fullness, every one of them individually and all of them collectively, gave glory in unison to their Father while praying for a helper to bring peace to the deficiency and forgiveness to Logos. Out of this focused prayer, a unique fruit emerged, one that contained all of the capabilities and powers of the fullness, along with all of the love and eternal qualities of the Father. The singular fruit of the fullness in the Father is known by various names. The Christ, the Savior, and the Redeemer the Advocate, the Light, and the Beloved. 
In simple explanation terms, the Christ is a perfect and full fractal of the Father and the Son all rolled up into one perfect form. Christians believe that Jesus of Nazareth was both perfect man and perfect God incarnate. Christian Gnostics believe the same. Here's a more complete explanation of who Jesus was. It's said that Jesus was conceived without sin because he carried within his body the perfection of man and God. This would mean that Jesus' DNA was perfect and true to the original DNA formula for humanity, hence the importance of the virgin birth that imparted that perfect DNA to the baby. Jesus was also without negative karma attached to his soul, as his soul was the soul of God. The components of Jesus' body were also without sin, as the cells and flesh that became Jesus were, in fact, the eons of the fullness incarnate. As Colossians 1.19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. End quote. This one sentence from Colossians contains the entire Christian Gnostic gospel. Because Jesus brought along the entire fullness of the Pleroma when he incarnated, every aspect of the Father and Son came to material instantiation on earth. In this manner, the eternal God experienced the finite life of us second-order powers and all of the struggles between birth and death that plague us all. Here is how the tripartite tractate of the Nag Hammadi scriptures describes this process. As for those of the shadow, Logos separated himself from them in every way, since they fight against him and are not at all humble before him. The stumbling, which happened to the eons of the Father, was brought to them as if it were their own in a careful and non-malicious and immensely sweet way. It was brought to the fullnesses so that they might be instructed about the deficiency by the single one, from whom alone they all received strength to eliminate the defects. They gathered together, asking the Father, with beneficent intent, that there be aid from above, from the Father, for his glory, since the defective one could not become perfect in any other way, unless it was the will of the pleroma of the Father, which he had drawn to himself, revealed, and given to the defective one. Then, from the harmony, in a joyous willingness which had come into being, they brought forth the fruit, which was a begetting from the harmony, a unity, a possession of the fullnesses, revealing the countenance of the Father, of whom the eons thought as they gave glory and prayed for help for their brother, with a wish in which the Father counted himself with them. Thus it was willingly and gladly that they brought forth the fruit. And he made manifest the agreement of the revelation of his union with them, which was his beloved Son. But the Son in whom the fullnesses are pleased to put himself on them as a garment, through which he gave perfection to the defective one, and gave confirmation to those who are perfect, the one who is properly called Savior, and the Redeemer, and the Well-Pleasing One, and the Beloved, the one to whom prayers have been offered, and the Christ, and the light of those appointed, in accordance with the ones from whom he was brought forth, since he has become the names of the positions which were given to him. Yet what other name may be applied to him except the Son, as we have previously said, 
since he is the knowledge of the Father whom he wanted them to know. Not only did the eons generate the countenance of the Father to whom they gave praise, but also they generated their own. For the eons who give glory generated their countenance and their face. They came forth in a multifaceted form in order that the one to whom help was to be given might see those to whom he had prayed for help. He also sees the one who gave it to him. That is from the Tripartite Tractate, sections 85 through 87. So you see, the mission of the Christ, as stated in Colossians, was to redeem all of creation, including the fallen eon who had founded our material universe. Because the Christ came to redeem everyone, the body of Jesus came to earth with every one of the fullnesses on board. For every fallen spirit, the Christ brought forth their own personal and recognizable Savior. Redemption has already taken place. It is up to the second-order powers and the eon who fell to recognize and accept that redemption in order to complete the mission of the Christ. In simple explanation terms, the Christ brought the correcting formula for all of our spirits and souls, each unique and personally formulated to meet our individual needs. The baptism of the Christ washes away the mental and spiritual confusion brought on by the endless war with shadows of the fall. Gnostics are apocalyptic, as are Christians. Gnostics believe that someday every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus the Christ is Lord. Repentance and redemption comes harder for some than for others. Some souls take more time to recognize and remember. Ultimately, though, there comes a day of reckoning, for the Father will not be denied forever. There will soon come a day when the deficiency ends. On that day, a new economy will unite heaven and earth, and all souls will find their joyful place in paradise. The only forms banished to the outer darkness will be the shadows and phantoms of the fall which did not exist within the Father's consciousness from the beginning. These shadows are not real, and they will have no home with us in paradise. Now here's a Gnostic perspective of Jesus on the cross. One of the central themes of the Christian faith is the death of Jesus on the cross. Christians the world over focus on the body of Jesus hanging on the cross. And I've often wondered why this fixation of Jesus on the cross? Why is the crucifix the focal point of every church and altar? Why do people wear the cross as jewelry or hang a crucifix in their bedroom? The obvious answer Christians give is that without the cross, Jesus could not have saved humanity from sin, for he bore our sins into the grave with his death, and they were washed away with his resurrection from the dead. Okay, praise be to God, but why the cross? If Jesus had been stoned to death, or drowned, or beaten, or thrown from a high tower, would we still feel such affinity for the stone, a lake, a club, or a roof? I don't think so. I think there is something very special about the shape of the cross itself. I ask this question because Jesus never said, I'm soon to pass on from this world and I want you to focus on my body hanging on the cross as I take on the sins of the world. And yet, that's what people do, as if that were the entire point of the gospel. As far as I can tell, Jesus did not ask for his death and resurrection to be the focal point of worship. What Jesus actually said was, I and my Father are one, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the Father that sent me. 
In other words, Jesus acknowledged himself in reference to his Father, and he deflected glory to his Father. Yet Jesus is worshipped by modern Christians to the extent that the Father almost goes unmentioned. Thank goodness for the Lord's Prayer, which is directed to the Father and not to the Son. Jesus taught it to be said to the Father. He did not teach it to be recited to himself. No slight to the Son, of course. We're merely emphasizing the importance of the Father. During the Last Supper, Jesus instructed his followers to think of his broken body as they break and eat bread, and to consider his blood as the fulfillment of a contract with humanity as they drink wine. This is what Jesus left the church as instruction regarding his death. He did not instruct them to erect images of crosses and to worship him hanging on a cross as if he were stuck up there forever. Yes, Protestants have allowed Jesus to come down off the cross, and therefore their crosses are unoccupied, to remind us that Jesus resurrected. But still, the focus is on the cross. Again, why the cross in particular? Here is the symbolism of the cross as I understand it. We who dwell on earth are engaged in endless warfare with the imitation that always seeks to lure us away from our Father in heaven. Oftentimes, we don't even realize we're engaged in warfare with the imitation because it can appear disguised as goodness. This is what is meant by the devil being a liar. We second order of powers are engaged in this endless warfare, and although we come from a good disposition of the Father and the fullness, we have forgotten our heavenly nature and become deluded because of rage and other passions and addictions. The Christ came to earth in the form of a son of man to bring the third order of powers to earth as the solution to overcoming the phantoms of the imitation that have mired the second order powers in error and ignorance. Those who have eyes to see the Christ are able to remember their Father in heaven. Those who remember their Father in heaven and repent from the imitation are redeemed. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the promise to redeem the fallen. Jesus, as the Son of God and the Son of Man, brought salvation to the deficiency and restored it to the kingdom of heaven. The reason the cross looks as it does and occupies such a central role in worship is that the cross represents human beings. The cross is shaped like a human, a Son of Man. It is no accident that Jesus was crucified on a cross because Jesus is a son of man, the son of man. If hypothetically humans looked like dogs, then the son of man would have come in the form of a dog and the cross would look like that too. But as it is, it is shaped as we are. The cross should remind us that humankind has been redeemed by the body and blood of Christ in an even more profound way than acknowledging the indignity and suffering of Christ on the cross. It should remind us that the Son of God, the Christ, bridged with the form of his human body, spirit to matter, which is top to bottom, and neighbor to neighbor, which is side to side. In the Gnostic Gospel, redemption comes to all of creation through the incarnation of the Son of God into the body of the Son of Man. The manner of the Savior's birth death, and resurrection will come to every soul as they realize their Father is in heaven, and to heaven they will return. For as it says, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It just takes time. We aren't there yet because of the common delusion of presumptuous thought, 
which causes people to behave selfishly. Ego must first make way for the love of Christ to take over the throne of the self. Only then may you rise above the egoic imitation, for then you will have a champion and a king. The very public way that Jesus was crucified and the very public way that he resurrected gives us all hope of the same. Jesus demonstrates proof of resurrection, and his life, death, and resurrection is about all of us, not only about the Christ. Jesus is the exemplar of our resurrection. I acknowledge that this is a very different version of Christianity than has been traditionally presented to us. This is gnosis that was originally contained in the sacred scriptures that formed the New Testament prior to the Pope and the Emperor of Rome getting their hands on it and stripping it out. It's nice to know. I hope you get it. It doesn't really matter because all you need to know is that we come from the Father and to the Father we will return. We are emanations directly of the Father and the Father has promised to save us all and bring us all home. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. This has been taken to mean that one must acknowledge the power of the Christ before the Christ can redeem you. But I hope you can see that this puts all of the power of redemption in your hands rather than Christ's. The Christ will redeem all second-order powers by the end of time, with or without your acknowledgement. All redemption comes to the Father through the Christ, and that is in Christ's hands. What accepting the Christ now does for you is that it opens the door for the third-order powers to enter your egoic soul. This power makes it possible to live a joyous and virtuous life. It allows the love of the Father to flow through you and out into the world, and it eases your transition after the physical death of your body, so that you may enter the afterlife without fear, knowing that you rest in the pleroma of the Christ. Until next week, onward and upward, and God bless us all.